Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Heavenly Father and our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, I pray that the words of my lips and the meditation of all of our hearts will be good and pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. God's word for us today comes from the book of 1 Peter, which we've been going through in our sermon series the last few weeks. What are you most afraid of? What keeps you up at night right now? If there's things keeping you up at night, you're not alone. Jesus' disciples, the ones who walked with him throughout his journey, had fears of their own. On the night that Jesus died, they were so afraid of being arrested and killed with him that the disciples ran away. And Peter, the author of the book we're going through, denied being friends with Jesus three times that night. So what changed them from mice who were scared of their own shadows to men who were willing to die for their faith? Today is Pentecost Sunday. It's the day when flames appeared over the heads of the disciples and God sent his Holy Spirit to his people. Pentecost made them ready to face the challenges that lie ahead. And today, you and I have challenges ahead of us as well. Because we also can experience pain And even the death of our relationships, our status, and our reputation if we choose to stand up for our faith as well. Because of that, Peter wants us to expect the heat. You see, we live in Arizona, so heat really doesn't surprise us that much, especially when we get into the summer months. But for some reason, when we experience suffering for our faith or suffering in life in general, we humans tend to be shocked. But Jesus warned us in John chapter 16 when he said, A time is coming when anyone who kills you will think he's offering a service to God. And in our reading for today, Peter says to us, Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. So have no fear of them nor be troubled. Who's there to harm me if I'm zealous for doing good? Well, I guess that depends on whose definition of good we're talking about, doesn't it? If I follow what the world calls good, then I'm safe. But if I do what God says is good, then I shouldn't be surprised if I find myself getting canceled. A few years ago, football player Tim Tebow who was one of the most decorated college football players in in all of NCAA football history, was drafted and quickly led his team deep into the playoffs and then was released. Rumor has it that despite his talent and despite his skill, because of his outspoken Christian faith, most teams weren't willing to accept the media circus that he would bring along with him. Legend has it that the Apostle Peter, who wrote our book today, was crucified upside down because of his faith in Jesus. But yet, despite all that, Peter still says to us, when we suffer for Christ, we will be blessed. Why? Because for Peter, blessing means following Jesus and sharing in his glory 
And that means looking like Jesus, scars and all. Peter goes on in our reading and he says, But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and with respect. As I read that last verse, the first thing that stood out to me were the words gentleness and respect. And I thought, wow, now that's something that our world really lacks today, isn't it? And I love that verse 15 says it starts in our hearts. Because only when we honor Christ as Lord in our hearts can we then give an answer that's not motivated by anger or hatred or revenge or judgment, but rather one that's motivated by gentleness and respect. Then, and only then, are we ready to give a godly answer. This past year, I was blessed to minister to a hospice patient. We'll just call him John. And I'll be honest, the relationship started off prickly at best. (laughs) During my first visit, he told me that when he was 18, he left his home and he studied every religion and he believes that every religion is bogus. I asked him at the end of that first visit, as I ask all my patients, would you like me to pray for you today? He responded, you can do whatever you want, except he said it with a lot more colorful language. When I went out to my car, sat down and started charting for the visit, I I just took stock of that time and the visit really felt more like an interrogation. And later on I found out that he told his nurse everything that he hated about me. A Couple of weeks later, we were talking and he said to me, you know, I don't believe the Bible because it was written by a bunch of men who kept out a bunch of books that should have been in there. By this time I was getting pretty heated, I was kind of upset and But I was able to keep my cool and calmly say to him, well, actually, I disagree with that. And there's actually a lot of scholarship that says otherwise that I'd be happy to discuss with you sometime if you ever wanted to talk about it. We didn't talk about it that day, but from then on, he he actually began to trust me. We discussed life and death. We studied other religious philosophies together. We discussed his regrets for how he lived his life and how he treated his family over the years. Then one day he said to me, you know, Tim, after all this time, I've never asked you what it is you actually believe. So I told him I believe that I'm a sinner in need of a savior and that God loves us so much that he sent his savior, his son, Jesus, to die and rise so that I could live with him eternally. John just said, oh, okay. Well, I don't believe that, but thank you for sharing. A few weeks later, when he was on his deathbed, he called me and asked me to pray. As far as I know, he never confessed a saving hope in Jesus Christ, or at least he never confessed one to me. But because I treated him with gentleness and respect, like Peter talks about, I was at least able to earn the right to share the hope that is in me and to be the one that he called with his dying breath. You see, Peter is asking you and me today, when those moments come, are you ready? Are you ready to speak up for him? Are you ready to act and to love? Are you ready to face the heat? 
The second thing Peter tells us in our reading today is he tells us not just to expect the heat, but like when we get into those dog days of summer when the days feel endless and the thermometer feels like it wants to break, then we have to endure the heat. Peter says in verse 17, for it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. Here we see just how great his love for us is. That the sinless Son took on all of my sin, that the righteous one was made unrighteous for me, that Jesus, who never did an evil thing in his life, suffered and died for all of the evil things that I've done throughout my life. As my father-in-law likes to say, no good deed goes unpunished. But why did he do it? Verse 18 goes on and tells us, He did it so that he would bring us to God. So that he would bring us to God. That's it. No matter how alone you feel today, no matter how afraid you are, no matter how far away you are, he died to bring you back to God. And finally, when the heat of the world feels unbearable, Peter tells us to take a dip. You know how it is. It's 115 and your pool is 95 degrees. What do you need to do? You jump in the pool and cool off at the end of a hot day. Peter tells us the same thing. He tells us when the heat of the world becomes unbearable, we need to jump in the pool. In verse 21, Peter says, baptism which corresponds to this now saves you. Not as a removal of dirt from the body, but rather as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with the angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. Remember earlier, When talking about persecution, Peter actually threw out the phrase, don't worry, don't be troubled, don't be afraid of them. You might have been wondering, okay, that sounds easier said than done, but here's the secret. You have to know who you are and who's got your back. You see, Martin Luther refers to this as remembering your baptism, You need to know that you are washed in the blood of the Lamb. You see, feelings, emotions, even suffering and situations can change. That's why we need an anchor to something that's outside of us. Baptism is that anchor. Peter says, this baptism now saves you. It's not just a bath, but it's God's gift to clear your conscience, to wash away your sins, and to take what he did on the cross and to give that special gift to you. You were made God's child, 
And no amount of suffering or persecution can change that. And the cool thing is that this promise is backed not by the power of the president, the government, or the U.S. dollar. But this promise, Peter says, is backed by Jesus Christ. And not just any Jesus Christ, but the Jesus Christ who has gone into heaven is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him the Son of God of the universe, that Jesus Christ. Now that's real power. And if he's got my back, no wonder the apostles were able to face persecution, suffering, and death with courage. So I ask again, are you ready? That same Pentecost hope and that same Holy Spirit lives in you and me today. That same Jesus Christ rules for you and me today. And whether we're talking about suffering for our faith like Peter did, suffering from trauma, addiction, marriage issues, or as I often see in the world of hospice, the pain brought about by cancer, dementia, or death, we will all suffer. But the key to being ready to enduring suffering is knowing who I am and more importantly, whose I am in Christ. Amen.